Welcome to the program, Woke Up, where we amplify the voices of those whom today's critical social justice movement and woke ideology have seduced. They realized they were being led to a place they did not want to be and woke up to tell their story. Now the host, Michael Ballantyne. Good afternoon, everybody. We have an exciting program here today. We've got an amazing guest who has an amazing story. I've been following her for quite some time. I've, she's a very deep thinker, very profound. And, and as you know, the name of the program is uh, We Left Today's Social Justice Movement and Wokeism. No one's saying we're leaving the social justice movement or don't believe in equality and justice. We all do. But today, in the way it is manifested with cancel culture and separating people into categories and the animosity we believe needs some rethinking and nuance. And so I've got on my, on the show today for everybody is a, a wonderful woman who has an incredible story to tell. And her name is Kat Catinson. And uh, Kat, I just want to introduce you to everybody. And, and I want to ask you like this mindset that you got into and where that led you and maybe you just feel free to open up your heart and share your pathway the last 10 or 15 years of your life a little bit. Sure. I'd be happy to. Thanks for that great introduction, Michael. So I think when it comes to social justice and in my experience, particularly the gender identity movement, I think agendas can be pushed forward under the guise of human rights and equality when really they're sort of infringing upon other people's rights and and harming a lot of people and sort of doing the opposite of what they proclaim to be doing. So I'm a detransition woman to be specific. I started questioning my gender when I was very young. Um, I think I was around five years old. The first time I remember asking my mom if it was possible to change gender. And, um, you know, I, I had a lot of things going on in my life at that time that made me feel uncomfortable in my body, made me feel like unsafe being a girl, struggled with bullying. I suffered some abuse um, at a very young age. So I think it had to do with that. And also just sort of the gender roles that were being portrayed to me of what I was supposed to be like as a girl or as a woman. And they made me feel very uncomfortable. So yeah, but back then, so I'm, um, I'm a bit older than some of the kids transitioning now. I'm 31. So back then, it wasn't like being taught in schools that you could be transgender. It wasn't ubiquitous like it is today. So I didn't even find out about trans people or anything until I was around 13 years old from an online forum, actually. And so I don't know if you want me to go into my full story right now, but I, I ended up not transitioning as a child or as an adolescent because I was not affirmed by my doctors or by my parents or peers, which is something that was painful, but I'm now very grateful for. And um, I'm sure I'll get to why that is. But I ended up transitioning as an adult and later coming to detransition. And so now I'm living as my biological sex, I consider myself a detransition woman. And if anything, I feel like my my mental health is better than it has ever been after detransitioning. And uh, you so you started to have these questions when you were five. And then at what age did you start to proactively take the steps to transition? How old were you at that point? So when I was 13, and I found this website online, and it actually still exists. I'm writing an op ed uh, right now about this. And so I was researching yesterday, and it's called ftmguide.com. And so I discovered this website at 13 years old, and it has everything from finding how to pass as a man, 
um, you know, if you're born female and the surgeries you can get, just, you know, various things, a lot of which is not appropriate for a child. But anyway, after discovering this website, I pretty much already had the sense that my parents would not be, would, would not approve of me medically transitioning. For some reason, I just sort of took it as, at face value that, you know, it was something I would do as an adult. But I did begin binding my chest. I began using an ACE bandage at first, which is like very unhealthy for you. And I continued binding on and off for the next 15 years. So in the beginning, it was more of like a, I used non-medical means in the beginning and I attempted to transition socially. I came out to some of my peers. I came out to my parents who didn't really affirm me. And, you know, I'm a five foot two, very small bones, very feminine looking woman, <laughs> naturally. So it, it was just not possible at all for me to pass as a boy. You know, if anything, sometimes people would read me as like a 12 year old boy, which is not what I wanted. You know, I, I wanted to be seen as my age. So yeah, for the next like 15 years, I kind of just went through th these periods. It was like a pendulum swing where either I'd be, you know, actively trying to transition, but wasn't really able to without the medical means. Or I was like trying to be a girl, trying to be a woman and, you know, sort of because back then it was hard to be gender nonconforming. It was, you know, it was not like celebrated more like it is today. So, um, yeah, I just kind of flip flopped for a long time. And it wasn't until I was in my mid 20s that I finally decided, OK, I've, I've tried everything else. And I, I just I thought it was impossible for me to be happy as a woman. And so I decided to finally try the testosterone. When, when you were uh, going through it sounds like you were having these thoughts when you were going through puberty as your body was transitioning and uh, you were growing breasts and uh, getting hips and the what happens. Uh, were, were you not liking the fact that you were starting to grow breasts and you, did you hate those or like what was going on on a subconscious level as your body was taking on and going through puberty? I think for many girls, it's I mean, not just girls, boys too. You know, puberty is a time where your body is changing very rapidly, as you said. And for me, basically within a year, so going from like seventh to eighth grade, uh, my body just completely changed. You know, the shape of my body changed and the reaction I was getting from other kids, particularly other boys, but other girls too, just made me really uncomfortable. I had always kind of been an outcast. I'd been like bullied a lot. I was sort of the weird kid in school. And it sort of went from being just like, no one wanted to talk to me to like suddenly getting all this attention from boys, but it, it wasn't the kind of attention that I wanted. Like, um, it didn't feel like respectful. It just, it felt like they only wanted to talk to me because of my body changing. And um, it wasn't only boys my age, but it was like older men as well. And it was just, yeah, it did make me very uncomfortable. And especially since I didn't really relate to, I didn't feel like I related to other girls. I didn't feel like I related to like feminine stereotypes. So I just, you know, once you go through puberty, whatever biological sex you are just becomes like so much more obvious. So it was just uncomfortable for me in a lot of ways. And um, in addition to questioning my gender, I also started to develop an eating disorder because I was so uncomfortable with the feminine shape of my body. And, and you know, so I, st I started restricting my food intake in order to get more of like a slim androgynous figure again. And uh, during this period in your life, what types of messaging were you getting in terms of affirmation or encouragement? Were, you know, were, were you active in social media? Were you in, in some types of clubs or like, 
like what was uh, the social support you were getting? How would you describe that? When I was when I was a teenager, it was again very different than it is today. But I basically gravitated towards these websites that I was visiting, the FTM guide and some other ones that had forums where I could read uh, mostly trans adults talking to each other. And, you know, sometimes I would contribute comments of my own, but um, more often I was honestly just reading and like informing myself and I was getting into this mindset and just sort of, um, you know, this, this ideology that, you know, female or woman is like a gender role, same thing with man, like it's not a biological reality, it's just a gender role. And you know, if you feel that male gender stereotypes fit you better then maybe you're like actually a man in a female body and just all this stuff that now after breaking out of it, it sounds really crazy to me and nonsensical. But as a teenager, you know, learning about gender dysphoria, which was called gender identity disorder back then, I really felt like that just was the answer to all of my problems. And that's very appealing as a young child. So in the beginning, it was very much just online for me. It wasn't like today where it's being taught in schools. You know, my peers were not, if anything, the bullying got worse when I started to dress more gender nonconforming. So it was, it was really hard. Um, I didn't really have any outside help with it. I got some help for my eating disorder because that ended up getting really serious. But finally, when I was 17, it became clear that my dysphoria wasn't just going to go away. And so I asked my parents to take me to a gender therapist. And that was the first time that I really experienced like affirmation. But then, you know, throughout the next like 10 or so years after that, I watched the climate rapidly change around that to the point where when I was at university, it was being taught as part of the curriculum. And, you know, in classes, you would go around and say your pronouns to everyone. And so I think that was a large part of, you know, why I ended up actually deciding to medically transition later is because of this changing climate around gender ideology. And what, how did your mom and dad respond? And it seems like they were supportive to a certain level, at least they brought you to the clinic. And what, what, what was their reaction to the the things that were going on on a psychological and emotional level with their daughter. In the beginning, I told my mom first. I don't remember how old I, I think I was probably around 14 or 15 when I first told my mom. And she was sort of like, she had never even heard of it before. Like she had heard of men transitioning to try to be women um, because that was something that was more covered in media. But like nobody knew about females identifying as transgender. It just like wasn't a thing. So he was kind of surprised by it. But she did recall sometimes as a kid when I was gender nonconforming, like I used to like to put on like my dad's work hat and sunglasses and so she was like okay well that kind of makes sense knowing like how you could be as a kid but then after talking to my dad and then the two of them I think researched like the surgeries and just started looking more into it and they got really scared and so then they sort of talked to me and said Kat you're a girl you know basically basically just relayed to me that they were not comfortable with me identifying as the opposite sex yeah so after researching the whole transgender thing and how, how it looked especially for you know female to male people I think they just got really scared for me and my health and they were scared I wouldn't pass as a man which I have mixed feelings about um like that being one of the main reasons but yeah so I was a five foot two female with small bones as I mentioned and they were just like well you're never going to pass as a man it's going to be like a hard life for you and of course medical stuff so they discouraged me and um that caused a huge rift in our relationship for the next I don't know 10-15 years but 
I'm thankful that they didn't affirm me because I look at what what's happening to kids now who are coming out at the age that I came out, you know, they're getting put on puberty blockers, which are not reversible and very dangerous. So, you know, it was it was just a hard time. Like I think back on it and just how difficult it was. But, you know, I'm able to be the person I am now. And I'm I'm glad I have my health and my fertility still. So some time went by and you felt more and more that you wanted to go through the process of transitioning to live a life as, uh, uh, not only to present, but to live a life as a male, I'm, I'm understanding. And tell us about that process and what steps you began to take and, and how you're feeling along that path. So the medical part, it did take me a long time to start. It was a lot of deliberation. And part of that was also my singing voice, because I had been singing with my family since I was around seven years old doing professional gigs. I was starting to write my own music by age 13. I had produced my first album. And so my voice was very important to me, my singing voice. So that was another factor in it, because I knew the testosterone would change my voice. But the first time testosterone was ever brought into the conversation, for those who don't know, testosterone is usually the first step for most females wanting to transition to male. It's not always the first step, but I'd say most frequently that's what it is. And so when I was 17 and my parents took me to this gender therapist, he actually suggested I start testosterone by the third appointment. And, you know, at 17, part of it was my parents didn't affirm me, I didn't feel I had enough support, but also just something felt fishy about it to me. Like, I just, I felt like this man was not really listening to me. Like, I I had so many comorbidities, and I just didn't feel like he was taking those into account. Because although I wanted to transition, like, I did want to make sure there wasn't, like, another solution or, you know, um, I, I just, I guess I wanted to just really talk to someone who knew what they were talking about and, like, put on the brakes a little bit. And he was just, like, affirmation, affirmation. So when I was, I think, 23, yeah, I think I was 23, I went to a I went to a gender clinic and I think at that time they did do some blood work and they prescribed me testosterone but I had to like inject it myself and I did like one dose but it was it was the intramuscular and they had prescribed me like this mega dose so it was like it was like this long needle like probably this long and you're injecting I mean it was it was just horrifying for like someone who you know, I didn't have any experience with like medical stuff. And just um, so I, d- I did do one dose. And I was just terrified I was gonna like hit a vein, my heart was like pounding. And so after that, that kind of like deterred me from doing any more. So so yeah, that was 23. And then again, when I was 28. So at that point, I went through Planned Parenthood, because I at that point knew that they were pro- providing gender services. So I called them. And I talked to the receptionist. And I said, Yeah, you know, I'm looking for like gender affirming care. I'm, you know, I'm ready to start the process and like I I thought the process would be like maybe some psychological appointments maybe some blood work at least like you know a physical like medical evaluation and she was like okay well I'll, I'll have the doctor call you back and the doctor called me back maybe a day later and we talked for about 30 minutes she just asked me some really basic questions I'm, I'm using the pronoun she quite liberally here because I, I think this was someone who was trans identified as well so yeah it was just a very relatively short conversation she brought up a few a few risks of testosterone um but really the way it was played off is like oh you know you shouldn't smoke like that's bad for you like don't smoke if you're taking testosterone you know don't drink too much alcohol but like that's what doctors tell you all the time so um i now know that there's a hugely elevated risk of heart attack from taking testosterone as a female which you know it was not presented to me that way 
stroke as well. But anyway, I was prescribed over the phone. She ordered some labs, but she did not require me to get them before picking up the testosterone. And, you know, so I ended up picking my picking up my prescription that day and starting shortly after. And yeah, it was just, I mean, honestly, all throughout, it was just unbelievably easy. Um, there was really not a lot of pushback. I never really felt like I got quality mental health care, you know, and even like my insurance, my insurance covered the testosterone, but it did not cover therapy. So yeah, I did, I did feel like testosterone was my only option, but also I just feel like no other options were really presented to me. So of course I was going to believe that was my best choice. And so then after you began that, how did you feel initially? And what was the process where you came to change your mind or have regret? Or were there further steps you you took as well concurrent with that uh, to transition? Or like what, what happened the next several months or years? It was an interesting few months. So the first like month or two, I actually felt amazing. I feel like the testosterone was kind of working as a mood stabilizer and also gave me more energy. So physically, I did feel pretty good the first couple months. I was happy. That's common, right? Uh, uh, Introduction of testosterone artificially into the body can have an initial uh, mood enhancing effect from what I understand. Definitely. I've heard that from a lot of other women who have transitioned and detransitioned that initially you know, it, it, it varies from person to person. Some people felt good for a few months to even like a year. For me, it didn't really last long. But but yeah, um, there is a honeymoon period where some of the positive effects are manifesting. But you know, some of the health side effects have not that on yet. So that's what happened with me. I was also excited about, you know, getting stronger. Like I, well, I used to be a, a exercise instructor at a gym and I've always been into fitness. So I was like lifting weights and I was getting stronger so much faster. <laughs> and that was really exciting to me. My voice was sort of slowly deepening in the beginning. Like it was like just gradually gaining more and more low notes. And that was exciting to me because I did want my voice to deepen. I was excited about having like a male singing voice and what that would sound like. So at first it was like very exciting. And I had some trans friends who were really encouraging. Like I I had one best friend in particular who, you know, had told me how much happier he was after his transition. And I really kind of modeled after him in a way because he and I had struggled with some of the same issues issues like prior to transitioning and so he was like a beacon of hope to me but yeah within a few months I everything started to change I think the first thing I started noticing was like when I wake up in the mornings I just I just didn't feel well like I had nausea I had nausea that would kind of stick around throughout the day if I ate if I ate certain foods or like drank alcohol it would get worse sometimes I'd even be like throwing up I started to get this pain in my right side Um, it could have been related to my liver or gallbladder I'm honestly still not entirely sure at this point but um, it was that and then I started to get heart palpitations um, especially when I was wearing my binder so yeah it was the health side effects it was the nausea and the heart stuff and it was really scary with the heart stuff because I'd be in public I'd be wearing my binder and so even when I was on testosterone I did not pass as a man like a lot of times people would be like unsure of my gender they'd be kind of like staring at me and looking at me like is that a boy or a girl but it was never like 100% passes a man so I I was nervous to go in either bathroom and but I just felt like I needed to like get my binder off but then um, I was like scared to go in the bathroom and so I'd just be sort of like standing there feeling like I was dying it was summer as well so it was like the heat was like beating down on me and anyway it was just really bad 
but even given the health side effects I was experiencing, I was not ready to stop because I was just like, you know what, this is, I've, I've, I've tried being happy as a woman for so long and it, like, it's, it's just, you know, it, it, it doesn't work. And then this narrative of suicide as well, because there's this whole thing of, you know, the, the dominant narrative now is that if you have gender dysphoria and you don't transition, then you're at an extremely high risk of suicide. Like it's basically between transitioning and offing yourself and, if you're a parent, the the binary choice is: Would you rather have a trans kid or a dead kid? And it's, exactly, it's so profoundly challenging and somewhat manipulative. And what's a parent going to say? You know, the end of discussion, no dialogue. I just wanted to make that binary choice that parents that are grieving and thinking, oh, why? What's wrong with my child? How can I love them? How can I help them? Is this the right thing? All the questions possibly grieving the loss of a son or a daughter in terms of uh, the, the gender identity. But then it's like, that's the only decision, the only choice that you're given. You better do this and conform or your kid might be dead. And it's just like, that's just so stark, you know, and no other options really. It's so manipulative and it's just so insane that it's doctors telling parents this because, you know, when I was a teenager and I struggled with anorexia, I had like a really serious case of anorexia. I had to be hospitalized, um, put in inpatient treatment multiple times. And, you know, there was times that that I threatened I was going to kill myself. You know, like I said, if you don't let me starve myself, essentially, I'm going to kill myself. And <laughs> the way that my parents and doctors responded to me at that time was to put me in a psych ward. Like <laughs> I was literally in a psych ward on two separate occasions because of that. And so it's just, I'm just laughing because like the ridiculousness of suddenly because it's gender dysphoria, we should just give the kid whatever they want or they're going to kill themselves. Like it's it's not how we've ever responded to suicide um, mm. for like any other condition. And it's just so unprofessional and it is manipulative. And, you know, the science, the science that this is based off is or rather based on is really, it's, it's very shoddy. It's It's not the same quality of medical science that we would normally you know, it, it's not equivalent to any other field of medicine in terms of the quality of science. So it's just, and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like kids are hearing like, oh, if I don't transition, I could kill myself. And that is going to make them more likely to feel that way, you know? So yeah, that was what I was feeling when I was, um, I was having all these health side effects, but I, you know, I, I thought the alternative was worse and I didn't know of any other options. So I, you know, I pushed on for a couple more months, but you know, kind of the last straw for me is so I'd done my dose of testosterone and basically I, I would inject it once a week. And so I did my injection and I think the night before I was practicing some vocal stuff. I was singing. And like two days later, I tried to sing the exact same song and I opened my mouth to sing it and just air and squeaks came out when I tried and just the whole quality of my voice was destroyed like it was it was raspy it was hoarse it was cracking and like yeah I was aware that my voice would change but you know not to the extent that it had and it was you know not it, it, not, it not only sounded unattractive but it was painful as well like it was becoming more and more painful to speak and sing and um you know singing is my major form of artistic and creative expression and when that happened it was just it was way harder than I thought it would be it was just devastating to not be able to sing and it just hit me like wow this is permanent like I'm never going to get the same voice back that I had and I just started thinking like oh my god what have I done 
And so that really was the catalyst for me deciding to detransition was was losing my voice. And you were, you were losing more than just your gender identity. You were losing a part of yourself, a gifting, yeah. something that you that's a gift given to you to express your soul and and not being able to use that on top of these other things. Because there are consequences to the decisions we make, you know, that must have been a horrible process for you to be in. It was. I and a lot of people, you know, tell me they they're like, well, didn't didn't you know your voice would change? Like, wow, you're so stupid to like take testosterone. Like, I mean, it's just the narrative really shifts, right? Like when you're when you're trans and you're like, I want to take testosterone, you have like all these people cheering you on, and then when you say, hey, this isn't working for me, like I'm actually really devastated to have lost my singing voice. They just basically turn around and blame it on you. You and you know say like oh you should have known better but you know my doctor told me my voice would deepen but they didn't tell me it would be painful every day to speak and sing and I also learned that you know there are some particular effects on the female singing voice from taking testosterone it's not the same thing as a male would experience because you know I was an adult female I was not a adolescent boy going through puberty and the anatomical changes that happen are different it's it's different in a female body and so anyway yeah I, I realized that you know my gender and you know it's not even that um it's not even a choice of like oh being a man would be better than being able to sing like it's because I never would have been a man like it's impossible for humans to change sex and I never wanted to be a trans man like I never wanted to be a five foot two man with a vagina like I I wanted to be a biological man and it that would have never been possible for me so it was like I was trading my singing voice for this impossible dream <laughs> and once I realized that I was like yeah I, I can't do I can't do this to myself anymore for the next six months I still didn't acknowledge that I was female like I or I, I didn't I didn't go back to living as a woman right away because I still had gender dysphoria I was still really uncomfortable with that so I called myself non-binary for about six months and I still sort of you know I, I still believe in the ideology I wasn't completely deprogrammed yet so it took me a few months to sort of deprogram from that but I was just kind of like okay I can't keep taking testosterone I had top surgery a double mastectomy scheduled as well I'd been talking to a surgeon about that and I canceled with him I canceled my legal name change I already had paperwork turned in for that <laughs> so I pretty much like after the first physical changes were just so devastating I was like you know maybe it's just a bad idea to make any other uh, rash decisions right now yeah like the, the concept gender affirming care so gender affirming care <laughs> in today's language is you affirm whatever is in the per patient's mind, whatever is in their head, you affirm that. Escaping the scientific reality that you have two X chromosomes and why can't we have gender affirming care to work with people like yourself that are struggling with gender dysphoria to affirm your femininity, to affirm your singing voice. I understand you have this problem and we're here for you. We're going to affirm who you are for you to overcome these issues and be all you can be and maintain your assigned gender at birth. Um, maybe I'm looking at it wrong. So please correct me if, if I'm not seeing that correctly. No, um, I I think the term gender affirming care is uh, is absolutely mis misleading. You're right about that. I mean, even if you're someone who believes, you know, there are some people who are truly trans. You know, I myself, I well, I'll, I'll I'll touch I'll touch on that in a little bit. But even if you are someone who believes that there there are some people who are truly trans and you know should transition as as adults or whatever, it's it's like when there's one path that leads to lifelong medicalization, you know, being reliant on 
big pharma for the rest of your life and being permanently sterilized, having all these health issues, both known and unknown, when one path leads to that and the other path leads to fewer doctor's appointments um, and no medicalization, you know, I, I think it's pretty obvious, like, which path would be the first choice, but this gender ideology tries to tell kids like, oh, you know, it doesn't matter whether you um, identify as your birth sex or the opposite sex, like they're both equally fine. And so if you just say you're the opposite sex, we should affirm you in that. And, you know, the problem with affirmation and like social transition is, you know, most often that will lead to the medicalization eventually, because I mean, social transition, if you're not like, I, I attempted to socially transition, and it only, it only made me feel more uncomfortable in my body, because um, it just made it more and more clear that I was not a boy, I was not a man. And I almost felt more compelled to start the medicalization so yeah i i absolutely think gender i mean i i just don't even like the phrase gender affirming care because I, I think it's like I, I don't know if you've read 1984 but it's it's like new speak it's it just doesn't mean what it's supposed to mean and it's it's a nonsensical phrase i i think that we what we need to be teaching kids is no matter what kind of body you have you're free to be yourself in that body two plus two is five <laughs> exactly <laughs> trans women are women yeah. Okay. So uh, you were, you had support, your friends were saying you were so brave and then you decided to detransition. And what happened to all those people that encouraged you in that path? And you said, you know, I don't feel comfortable. How, how, how has this uh, woke community uh, responded to you as you've decided this is just not the best decision for my life? There were sort of two camps of the woke people. And so this was during the pandemic, during uh, the lockdown specifically. So I, you know, my social life and real life had diminished somewhat, like I wasn't going out as much. Um, but I did have several trans friends in real life. But more, I was I was very involved with the community online, especially on TikTok. I had made an account for my music, but I'd been connecting with other trans people on there and just really become a part of that community. So there were kind of two camps of people and how they responded to my detransition. The first was, well, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll say three actually, but the first was just outright rejection and hate like from the get-go just like shut up uh, don't talk about your experience you don't deserve a voice you're just a cis person you know nothing you have to say is of value so just shut up you're harming the trans community <laughs> so that was one group the second group was more support with a caveat right so they were like oh yeah you're valid you know that's perfectly fine that you've detransitioned however you better not say these things you better not become a turf like i think the first thing i said that people kind of or one of the first things i said that people the, the acronym can you can you uh, describe what the acronym turf is because oh yes yes so it stands for trans exclusionary radical feminist which is essentially a feminist who doesn't count trans women as as, as part of her feminism so um i mean yes i am a turf <laughs> i think that feminism is a movement for biological females and you know being female is a unique biological state it is you know I, I don't think it's possible for a biological male to to know what it's like to be a woman. And, you know, that doesn't mean that I, I, I don't think both men and women have, you know, unique struggles, but it's it's just, you know, I, I think we deserve a movement for 
biological females. And that's, that's what feminism has always fought for. So, (laughs) but anyway, uh, these weren't always my, this wasn't always the way I viewed it. So when I was getting called a turf, just for talking about like detransitioning, it was just like, okay, this is weird. But yeah, one of the, one of the things I said initially that a lot of people pushed back on was that I had suffered physical damage because of transitioning. I think I said testosterone damaged my voice or something like that, which is objectively true. Like it's been extremely hard to recover from the vocal damage as a singer and just as, you know, just a regular person trying to socialize with other people. Like I was in so much pain um, because of what testosterone did to my voice. And, but, you know, people really push back on that narrative and they're like, oh, cross-sex hormones or uh, testosterone doesn't damage your body. That, that's turf language. That's transphobic. And so they're basically like, we'll support you if you, you know, fit into this specific narrative. But otherwise, like, no, you're not allowed to tell your experience you're not allowed to speak and then finally there there are a few people who you know are trans identified who do still support me and you know they they think I have the right to the opinions that I have and the thing is is that I actually harbor no negative feelings towards anyone who identifies as trans in fact I relate to them in a lot of ways and I really just I want the best for them you know I I want the best medical care for them I want the best psychological care I don't want them to make decisions based on false information like I did so you know that's really where I'm coming from it's it's coming from love it's not coming from hatred or bias or anything like that and it just for for some people to see me like that you know initially it really hurt now I don't really care because I just I just know they're wrong, you know, but yeah. I've seen a lot of your material and I want to commend you because you really touched my heart because you are filled with empathy. You are filled with grace. You're judging nobody. And just your messaging towards the trans community and the families that are going through this. I just love the way you, you, uh, you know, you're not looking to hurt at anybody. You're just trying to bring facts and you're presenting them in love. You're telling your story. And I recommend to anybody in our audience to please follow Kat and, and listen to the way she delivers messages. And like one, one, as we're closing up here, I I had a couple more questions for you. The, The first one is what advice would you give to parents that have a, a child that is struggling with gender dysphoria or looking to possibly uh, change uh, their gender presentation that are feeling uncomfortable. What, what can they do? What should they do? What shouldn't they do? What would your, your advice be for them? So disclaimer, I'm not a parent. I feel like a big, a big sister towards um, a lot of these trans kids. You know, I, I, I have a lot of empathy for them. And but yeah, as, as parents, I would say the number one most important thing is compassion and listening, just listening to your kid, you know, and just maybe asking more exploratory questions, you know, like, what is it about being a girl? Or, you know, what, what do you think being a girl is? How do you see being a girl? What about that is, you know, making you uncomfortable? Because, you know, that's one thing that I I wish, you know, I, I love my parents. Um, I'm so grateful for my parents. But, you know, I didn't really feel like they listen to me around this issue. And so, you know, that's one thing I would say, I would say, but also, you know, it's a hold firm to your beliefs, you know, this whole narrative of the suicide and, and all of that, you know, this isn't based in reality, it's not based in science. And so you can extend a compassionate ear without 
actually having to agree with this ideology. Um, I'd also recommend I, the book uh, Irreversible Damage by Abigail Schreier was really good. Material Girls by Kathleen Stock was really good as well. So I, I'd say educate yourself about the issue for sure. Mm-hmm. Try to monitor your kids' social media as well as much as you can, because even more so than when I was a kid, there are a lot of things out there that are just very toxic that I would not want my kid seeing because it's it's very dangerous for a developing mind. Excellent. That's great. Thank you for those references. And, uh, you know, in the, the last portion here, I, I'm really impressed with the, the work you're doing now, how you're being used uh, to bring awareness and help. And maybe you can tell our audience some of the things that you've been involved with in the last year or two and and what, what, what you're doing now to, to help uh, help the world. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> COVID brain fog. I've been really fortunate in the last year and a half since I've started speaking out about my detransition just for meeting all the people that I've met. And uh, I've been accepted more and, and just felt more at home in the detrans community and, and not only detransitioners, but also parents and just, you know, good Samaritans that see what's happening and they, they want to step up to protect kids. And so I've found myself getting involved with activism because, you know, particularly with transitions happening under 18, I just, I feel it is my responsibility given what I've been through to protect young people from, you know, the harmful psychology and then the harmful medical effects of, of prepubescent or pubescent transition. So I have spoken out at, at several legislative hearings. Um, I've spoken to the California Senate, my home state. Um, I also spoke before the Florida Medical Board recently. They were passing, a, they just passed a measure actually to, to ban puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and surgeries for those under 18. And I testified with eight other detransitioners, which was, you know, I, th- I think it was really powerful. It was really difficult because of the pushback from activists and protesters in favor of transitioning children. And um, I'm also part of an organization called Detrans United. We're sort of just starting up, but our goal is to provide resources for people who are newly detransitioned and just provide like accurate information about transition and detransition. And, um, you know, I'm doing some other things too. I'm writing a book, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be able to do my part given my experience because as painful as it was, I, I feel like it is worthwhile to be able to help other people who feel similar. But if you look at some of the papers, it just seems like everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, but overwhelmingly people are happy once they transition. But you're saying, you know, these papers uh, are painting a narrative and the reality in, in Maybe it's just anecdotally, maybe you have evidence, but uh, it seems like there's more and more and it's accelerating those who felt like they were pushed into transitioning and now have uh, detransitioned and they feel like uh, it wasn't the best move for them. And so would you agree with that? Because it does does seem like people want to paint the picture that it's the greatest thing once you transition. The problem with a lot of studies looking at the long-term impacts of medically transitioning is that well, one of the things that's wrong with them is they have a very, very high dropout rate. So essentially what that means is let's say there's a study of 200 people who, you know, either started hormones, had surgeries, etc. And then they follow up with them after a particular interval. And what happens is that 20, 30, 40, a lot of times over 50% of the participants are dropping out of these studies. So um, 
you know, if 50% of your study drop out, but then, you know, the 50% that are left, I'll say, sure, I'm happy. You're ignoring what happened to half of the people you're studying. So, you know, there's a lot of fake statistics that get thrown around, like only 1% of people detransition um, and, and things like that. But it's just the quality of the science is not sufficient to make claims like that. So it's it's not real science. It is propaganda. Um, another thing that is wrong with a lot of these studies is that the follow-up period is very, very short. So, you know, it's, it's like a year, 18 months, maybe three to five years at the most for the follow-up. And a lot of the health issues for people who have transitioned don't manifest until, you know, five, 10, 15 years after transitioning, but they can be really, really serious. And so studies have shown that the worst outcomes of transition, or rather like the suicide risk, for instance, is the highest 10 or more years after the surgery. So I think a lot of people have a honeymoon period with transitioning. I think that they are told it's going to help them and they go forward with it. And for a while they get what they want and they feel better. I mean, even me, I, I did feel better for a period. If you would have asked me a few months after starting to transition, I would have said that I'm happy, you know? So there's just a lot of these problems with the methodologies of these studies. And I can't even say that it's an accident because it seems very calculated to me, just given how many of them there are and how many flaws there are with these studies. So there's new research coming out this year that is starting to paint a more accurate picture. And I think the further we go, the more the science is going to catch up. So, you know, and anecdotally, people may report, I am happy after transitioning. And, you know, I, I don't want to discount that. But that said, people, especially people who suffer from mental illness are notoriously poor. They're notoriously unreliable narrators of their own story and their own mental health. <laughs> I mean, for instance, like, you know, when I had an eating disorder, for instance, I, I thought my eating disorder was making me happier. You know, I, I thought losing weight was making me happier, but it's it's just, we don't really have the data to support this. And my, my last question would be, what about a real earnest friend, a real earnest uh, person that wants uh, justice and wants the best for somebody? And they, uh, they're trying to support their friend by saying, you go for it, uh, uh, go ahead and transition, I'm going to be here for you. What kind of advice would you give to a friend who really means well, but might actually be doing harm and creating some pressure? How can they support their friend short of just saying, you go for it? You know, Michael, it's it's so hard, especially in the current you know political climate of affirmation only because, I mean, it is somewhat like a cult. If you don't go along with the ideology, you are written off as hateful rather than caring. Personally, like my friends who are still transitioning, I... I wish them the best and I, I really do wish them happiness at the end of the day. But I think affirming and, you know, agreeing to use opposite sex pronouns for somebody, I think it does ultimately encourage them to make irreversible changes, to harm their health, etc. So, you know, I, I, I would not recommend affirmation, but I would recommend just still letting that person know that you care about them as much as possible. I mean, if it's someone that you absolutely, you know, you must have, you must keep in your life. Uh, like it's, it's a little bit different, but sorry, I'm, I'm kind of drawing a blank here, but I, no, I, I, think, great. I think it's situational as well, you know, because obviously like I, I being someone who has personally been through transition and detransition, like it's a little different than someone who's, you know, not involved with the community because I, I do know how 
how easy it is for someone to just kind of write you off as hateful and transphobic when really you you do have this person's best interests at heart. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. And so I'm going to give you the last word to share anything on your heart. And please do tell our listeners and and uh, watchers how, how people can reach out to you, whether they're considering this, how they can stand with their friends or detransitioning. Let us know how, how we can continue to follow you. And I'll give you the last word to encourage our listeners. Thanks, Michael. So I'm on all social media. I'm Kat Cattinson on YouTube. I'm Kat Cattinson on Twitter. On Instagram, I'm Cat Robot Official, which is my music name. And I also have a music YouTube channel, which is Cat Robot Official as well. As far as something I'd like to end with is um, so something that I just really wish had been made more clear to me as a kid is that there isn't one way to be a woman. There isn't only one way to be a man. You know, what, whatever body you have is your vehicle for life. And it's a gift. It really is. It is your vessel for experiencing the world. And it's, it's just so important to, to care for it and appreciate it. But you know, like me as a woman, I can be however I want. I can be feminine. I can be masculine. I can, you know, have a career. I can choose to have a family. Like it's, you know, even no matter what the messages are that you get from culture, you can be anyone you want to be and you're not limited at all by your biological sex. And I wish I would have had someone to really explain that to me as a kid because I, you know, I did believe that being a woman, part of that was gender stereotypes. And so anyway, you don't have to change yourself to be yourself is something I, I would say to kids who may be considering transitioning. That, that's a beautiful message. You're a beautiful woman and you have a beautiful heart and you're filled with uh, empathy and grace. And I would also add that for those who have transitioned and have uh, regrets, that there is redemption, there is a path back. You can be made whole again in your in your in your body, soul, and mind. There might be some consequences, but you can live with peace in your heart. And so, I don't want anyone who feels like they made a mistake in their life or a decision, thinking that there was the best one and it was wrong. We've all done that. And so, uh, don't beat yourself up with guilt. Just uh, uh, there is redemption. And so, no, no matter where you you or someone you love are have been in that process there 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 is wholeness and restoration for for all of us mm -hmm. kat we really appreciate you thank you so much thank you for having me michael okay